When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm Scott. Uh, and I'm Ben. We are here, as always, with our super producer, Noel Vroom Brown. Snake. No, the snake. That's way better. Snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's a name that'll come up later. Or Mr. Speed. How about that? <laughs> Noel, Mr. Speed. Brown. Yeah, we can't take. Can we take nicknames from from legends and get and apply them to, to Noel? I think we can. But sure. Uh, I don't know. It's, it feels like we're, we're robbing them of something. Maybe we need to come up with something brand new for Noel during this episode that, uh, that that's fitting based on the topic. So that's a great let's, idea. Uh, let's think about it as we go through. Uh huh. Let's see if we remember to do this along the way. Yeah. So, and send your suggestions to us if you think. <laughs> Of one as well. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're doing, Ben. We're going to cover funny car racing, but we have in the past, and I, I had a list here somewhere, but my notes are scattered all over the place today. I've got a lot of stuff to talk about, um, as usual, right? Mm-hmm. But I have a, a lot of stuff to talk about, and I know we've covered um, the NHRA, we've covered drag racing, we've covered top field dragsters, we've covered uh, a lot of kind of surrounding series and, and drag racing, but we never have talked about specifically funny cars, and that's what we're going to do yeah. today. And this is one of those topics that when we first came upon it, we both thought we've already done that. Oh, we had to have already done that because I think that we've talked about funny car racing in so many, uh, so many episodes and just little bits and pieces, you know, sidebars here and there or nuts and bolts or something like that, uh, where it feels like we've, we've covered the whole topic, but oh, man, we are, we are far from covering the whole topic on this. Right. So let's start now. Let's rectify this. So in drag racing, there are several classes of vehicle, right, of racing classes. In the U.S., those are things like uh, pro stock, pro modified, top fuel, pro stock bike, and then there's funny car. Yeah, well, in addition to that, I think yeah. – oh, shoot, I don't have the note here, but there's like 200 other classes of right. drag yeah, racing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. a lot. And a lot of them come into this, like the sportsman type, uh, mm-hmm. under that, that umbrella, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, with different engine classifications, different modifications that are allowed and all that. So uh, bracket racing and all that. So, uh, a lot of different groups, but funny cars, these are one of the pro, 
uh, series, of course. And the ones that we're talking about specifically are the nitromethane burning funny cars, the top fuel funny cars. There's another group of funny cars called top alcohol. And top alcohol is just what it, it, it is. I mean, it, it's burning alcohol versus uh, the nitromethane uh, that we're talking about for funny cars. And we'll, we'll describe the fuels a little bit later. But um, just so we get that out there that, you know, this is just top fuel funny cars with some right. tangents along the way. I'm sure we'll, uh, oh, we'll, sure. we'll intersperse. But well, it's us. The, the very first funny car race, Ben, is documented as happening in 1965, January of 1965 in Scottsdale, Arizona. And that was uh, the NHRA season opener, and that was held, uh, the, well, the Winter Nationals at a place called the Beeline Dragway. So here's what happens, Ben. At this 1965, uh, you know, Winter Nationals, Chrysler Corporation, you know, because, you know, the, the major manufacturers are involved in drag racing, of course. Uh, Chrysler Corporation starts unloading these really unusual, never-before-seen vehicles. You know, that they, they're so radically different from the cars that people are currently drag racing. You know, like, because the, they were mostly stock cars. They had stock wheelbase. They had, if they had four doors, they had four doors or two doors or whatever. Mm-hmm. They looked uh, pretty much like the ro- the cars that were on the road at that time. Uh, of course, enormous horsepower and different wheels and suspension and all that, but they were basically they basically looked the same as the ones you could you could buy from the dealership. Well, these were so unusual. These are Dodges and Plymouth, by the way, that we're talking about. And they had these dramatically altered wheelbases, and the rear axle was moved forward as far as about 15 inches. So so imagine the overhang of those already enormous 1960s vehicles yeah. being extended by another 15 inches when the, the rear wheels are brought forward, the whole rear axle. And then the front wheels were pushed forward again, by about 10 inches. So it really alters the way the whole vehicle looks. It has kind of a, just a strange look to it. There's like a long overhang in the back. What they were doing was they were trying to, um, balance the weight in a different way that allowed the, uh, I guess the rear wheels to make better contact all the way down the drag strip. And, and this distribution of weight was achieved by moving axles forward, you know, again, 15 inches in the back, Mm -hmm. 10 inches in the front. But the other racers were looking at these these guys like they're crazy. They had no idea what they're doing. And then when they get on the track, of course, they find out that they're just blowing the doors off everybody else because of this superior weight balance. Yeah. And this becomes a, a different group of vehicles. And is it the AFX, uh, grouping that they then put them in? Cause it's a altered wheelbase experimental vehicle, I think. Yeah. I think that's what it counts as. Yeah. yeah. And of course, these early cars all ran on, you know, the Chrysler engines at the time. They were 426 Hemi powered cars. Um, you know, the teams that you would guess were in the series at the time, you know, running these would be like the Ram Charters and Sox and Martin and, uh, you know, I think the, the Golden Commandos, you know, they had colorful names for the teams and everything. But, you know, these are, these are professional racers from the factory division. And the other thing was, it's not just the altered wheelbase that made these crazy and, you know, the, the extreme, uh, extreme horsepower of these things because the 426 Hemi, by the way, becomes the engine that is the basis for just about every funny car out there uh, through the rest of the decades. And that's a, a lot of people don't know that. And maybe we've mentioned it on car stuff, but most drag racers, even if you're in a Chevrolet product or in a Ford product, you're running a Hemi engine, yeah, uh, a Chrysler based Hemi engine. So it's not mm-hmm. just the design of the, uh, of the chamber. Um, the other thing was that the, they had um, a lightweight body because they were acid dipped the bodies. We've heard of that trick before, right? It wasn't it, uh, was it Smokey Eunuch, I think? I think it was a Eunuch original, yeah, that one. I yeah. think so. He dipped that, uh, it was a Camaro, I believe, that he had acid dipped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, this, these, they would acid dip the bodies so that it would, uh, lightweight the bodies. Uh, they used fiberglass front fenders, doors, dash, hood, deck lids, and they used, uh, um, also lightweight materials in the, uh, in the place of glass. So they replaced the glass with plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys were just, they were far and, far and away ahead of everybody else in the field 
1965 with these uh, these cars that they called funny cars, and they didn't call them that at the time. Again, when I said it was AFX series, that altered wheelbase thing. Right, right. No one quite knew what to call them, but and this is the truth, the origin of the the name history, and and it's one of those things that has just over the decades uh, just kind of stuck. I think they truly did just name them funny cars because they look funny. There wasn't any <laughs> other reason for it. It's not like an acronym for anything like that. Right. They just said. Ah, those cars look funny. They look unusual. Uh, you know, it could have just as well been unusual cars. Now, no one knows the exact origin or etymology or the specific person who named that. They just came to be known as that because when you would say funny car, everyone knew what car you were referring to. Exactly. Yeah. The name, the name was what they, they called them initially and it just kind of stuck over the decades and, mm-hmm. and it's been passed down that way. And that's what we've, we've, uh, we've officially named them that now. And I guess this is like just the kind of generalities, you know, the, the stuff that kind of ties them all together, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they all have to have a 500 cubic inch engine, and most of them use um, the basis, again, as I mentioned, the aluminum Chrysler Hemi 426 as their their main engine. They call that the elephant engine, or they did call that the elephant engine at the time. Yeah, and from uh, 64 to 71. And it's just exactly why you would guess. The elephant engine is just because of its enormous size. It was mm-hmm. physically the largest engine you could get at the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's still the case anymore or not, but uh, but the 426 Hemi was a, an enormous engine in, in physical size. And the uh, we should say that nowadays the most popular design for funny car engines is still at, at its most varying. It's still loosely based on that on yeah. the 426 on, on the on this Chrysler design. Yeah. So uh, you know, d- d- regardless of uh, you know what manufacturer you're racing for, um, they all are based. Uh, they're supercharged. They're fuel injected. They're nitromethane burning. Uh, they run approximately, this is all for, for funny cars currently, they run approximately 4.6 seconds, uh, around the four-second range. I mean, you know, they give or take a little bit, at a speed of about 330 miles per hour. So that's an incredibly fast. It's, it's, it's ridiculously crazy. fast. It looks like the, the footage is sped up when you watch these run. I mean, really. Yeah. Um, the way that they differ from the top fuel dragsters, now you would think that it'd be similar in a lot of ways, and they, they are in some ways, they basically have the same engine, uh, same engine as the dragsters do. They have this different body. And the dragsters are, of course, you know, the ones that we're talking about are the, uh, the 25 foot long, uh, open engine at the back behind the driver, right, the big right. wing, you know, enormous slicks, that type of design. Um, these are essentially the same engine, only underneath an aerodynamic shell, uh, mm-hmm. fiberglass shell or carbon fiber shell. Which makes a huge difference. Uh, it does make a huge difference. And, and I bet a lot of people are curious about the horsepower too. Uh, you would have to be in the torque. Oh yeah. Okay. So the, there's a, a huge range in the horsepower, the, or the reported horsepower of these things. And I don't know if it's that they can't really get them on a dyno and find out exactly what they're doing <laughs> because they blow everything out, right. or, or what the reason is. But they report anywhere from you know the high six thousands up to about nine thousand. But the official number that they kind of like to go with, just a rough guess for every team, is right around eight thousand horsepower in these funny cars. Now that, that's combined with. 7,000 pound-feet of torque. That's not 800. No, no, 8,000 horsepower and and 7,000 pound-feet of torque. Now, we'll talk about some uh, fun facts uh, that the NHRA has provided us uh, with for funny cars later on. We'll give you some uh, more astounding numbers, some more uh, water cooler type talk, right? Right. Yeah, that uh, you can amaze your friends with. Some of those little bits of uh, cocktail trivia. Yeah, like how much fuel do they use during a run and how uh, how often do they have to be rebuilt and, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So. Uh, you know, G-force numbers, things like that. Um, okay, where? Let's see. There's a, a few other things that we need to talk about the vehicles themselves before we really get into much else about this. Sure. And this really took me by surprise. 
these cars do not have a transmission or a standard transmission, like a normal transmission right. like you might think of. What they do have is they have this uh, this multi-stage clutch assembly that's activated by timers. And this is I find this really perplexing that they can they can have a vehicle like this with no transmission. The driver really can't can't physically control what gear can't he really or, shift. Yeah, yeah, what gear he or she is in at that point. So and same thing with uh with top fuel dragsters. I mean, the, the exact same way. This uh this assembly um instead of being able to shift into, you know, first, second, third or gravity or or even uh, I think the uh, top alcohol dragsters uh, you have like three gears that you select from, but you have to manually pull those gears at the right time in, you know, in order to shift right. This is a time device that, that strictly allows them to make a run, which is their foot on the fuel. That's and it's it. either like a, it's like a mechanical system that is preset before each run based on their, the calculations of the racing team and the, the surface of the track is one of the biggest factors, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So they can, they can, Adjust it. They've got some form of some amount of adjustment to this thing, but basically, what it comes down to, I believe, is speed. When it reaches this mile per hour, this uh, this RPM, right. that's when we shift into this gear. And the the one exception to this whole thing is there's still a reverse, so they do have control over this. You'll notice that right away when you see them do a burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they back up. That's how they get back to the uh, to the starting line to stage up to get ready. But uh, so they do have a reverse, and it's just kind of a bolt on. <laughs> it seems like an afterthought thing, but even back when they had the transmissions, you know, with the uh, the gears that they had to select as they went down the track, uh, the reverse was still almost an afterthought, and that it was just bolted to the back of the assembly. Um, so again, no real transmission to speak of, other than outside of the, uh, the top alcohol dragsters. I believe those still have three gears that they have to select. Um, man, where do we go from here? Because there's uh, there's so many other things to talk about. Well. What we could also talk about at this point that, that's pretty important is uh, some of the safety issues. Oh, sure. Yeah. So when you watch a drag race, one thing you will see is that, you know, safety is, is key here because these things are beast on a track. Uh, one of the more obvious things you'll see are uh, the parachutes, right? They yeah. come out at the end of the race, which as a kid, I thought was one of the coolest things. Oh, of ever. course. Well, the Batmobile had parachutes. Right. That's see you get it. Yeah, we would have been friends as kids. <laughs> uh, but you know, also there are roll cages, there are fire extinguishers, and there's one big change to funny car racing that's a little tragic, but we should talk about it. And that change occurred after 2008 on June 21st. Yeah, that's uh, the uh, Scott Coletta wreck, mm-hmm. and uh, of course it was a fatal crash. And uh, boy, it's horrific. You can watch it online. You can see because. Of course, cameras are running. I think I don't know if it was a practice run or if it was a um, uh, you know an actual heat race. I don't remember exactly the details surrounding it, but this is essentially the race that um, afterwards they shortened the uh, the distance that they run. The uh, that certain classes, you know, pro stock and sportsman classes, um, would race uh, the full length still, but the the top which is fuel, like uh, thirteen hundred and twenty feet. Yeah, yeah, the thirteen twenty. So that's a true quarter mile. Uh, the other classes, the pro classes, like the um, uh, top fuel dragsters and the top fuel funny cars and, um, and the top alcohol funny cars. Those would all in sport bikes even would run races that were shortened to 1000 feet. And then they would also, um, institute different safety measures. Like they would, um, have padded retaining walls at the end of the track and right. sand traps. And, and they also would replace the polymer nets that were held up with concrete posts at the end. I mean, it's stuff that, you know, you would think. That would make common sense. It would just be common sense that you wouldn't have a big concrete post at the end of the run, you know, anywhere down there at all. Right. Uh, however, 
that wasn't really thought of. And I believe Scott Coletta hit a wall. I mean, it was a, it was a horrific yeah, accident. Uh, really was. So he was in the final round of qualifying for the Lucas Oil Super Nationals, NHRA Super Nationals. Uh, he was traveling about 300 miles per hour when the engine exploded near the finish line. The parachutes were damaged, so they didn't slow the vehicle. And, uh, unfortunately what, what they, what they see is that Although he did apply mechanical braking and tried to maintain steering control uh across the the shutdown portion of the of the track um the clutch system was locked and was maintaining engine power to the rear wheels so uh it was because it was still providing that power it hit the end of the paved track went through a sand trap about hundred and twenty five miles. Uh, then it went over the concrete retaining wall. Yeah, uh, it really, really uh, it, tremendous impact. I mean, it's a huge impact, a ball of flame, awful wreck. Um, and, and, yeah. and the thing is, you know, it, you, you look at this and you're thinking, like, why is he going full speed into the wall? I mean, clearly something's gone wrong mid, mid-track, but um, you, you can tell exactly when, when it happens and what happens, but you didn't know what was happening inside. And to hear that he was applying mechanical brakes, that was another thing that was shocking to me is that, if these things don't even have a clutch, uh, you know, they don't have a, don't have a gear, a gearbox that you can select from. Why, what good is a, what a good is a tiny little mechanical brake on the front wheel of these things uh, going to do? I mean, I don't care how big these disc brakes are. They're not going to stop an 8,000 horsepower car. Uh, they're not going to overpower that, uh, that gas. So if the, if the engine is locked on or the clutch assembly is locked up and it's applying full force, there's no way those mechanical brakes are going to hold. And we saw that in Scott Coletta wreck. It's a good point. Um, as a so as a result of this uh fatal crash the industry started working to um to to somehow fix the issue of engine backfire which oh. is one of the big reasons behind those explosions yeah that was uh, exactly right that's why uh, a lot of these nitro burning cars end up with uh, with a fire situation happening so you know it, some good came out of this of course you know as as usually does, you know, but there has to be something always tragic that happens in racing, it seems, before a change is made. I mean, look at, uh, like, seems to be the you case. know, like Jackie Stewart fighting for Formula One safety back in the 1960s and, you know, other, other groups along the way that have seen something wrong and said, Hey, we got to fix this. Like, you know, um, uh, IndyCar and cart car suspensions breaking off and wheels flying, you know, mm-hmm. up into the crowd or, you know, back at other drivers. All that the- was ha- handled later by, te- with tethers, but only after, Several really horrific accidents. Or the happened. Le Mans disaster in 55. Exactly right. Yeah. Stuff like that happens all the time. And it, and it does provide, you know, uh, you know, a means for them to, uh, to then investigate into, uh, into, uh, probe into the safety of, of whatever the situation may be and, and correct it. But it's just a shame that that always seems to have to happen ahead of time. I know they try to be preemptive about stuff and, you know, they're really safe about a lot of things. But until that one unusual oddball situation happens, they don't think of every single uh, thing that can happen or can go wrong. And that's, uh, that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like there were a lot of different things, but a lot of these, uh, devices, like that, that backfire device, I think was made, uh, a mandatory safety requirement in 2009. So not long after this incident happened. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of, I can you know, there's going to be a lot of, um, I guess maybe old timers or, you know, people that uh, say that, you know, that the, they don't really like having that sensor in place, you know, this mandatory sensor that, um, you know, shuts down the fuel pump and deploys the parachutes immediately because uh, they can you know, misread the situation. Maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. going to happen that way, but they they fired anyway. So you know, they they lost that round because uh, you know an early shutdown and, and deployment of the chutes. Um, but I, I think the the ones that uh, you know truly want it for the safety of the uh, of the the drivers and the fans 
and the track workers and everybody else around that uh, facility, um, I think that that far outweighs the ones that are against this type of thing. That's true. That's true. And these, uh, these safety innovations, another important thing that we talk about in previous racing episodes is that a lot of the, a lot of the safety innovations that are in your car or your truck or your bike right now come directly from racing. So what we're seeing is, uh, what, what we're seeing is that racing, because it is on the bleeding edge of engineering and the possibilities you can find, uh, this ultimately does have a, a benefit to um, auto- automobiles and vehicles in general overall. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, these will be extrapolated to the cars that you and I can buy at the dealership. That's what, that's what you're trying to eventually. say. Right? Yeah, eventually. Eventually. And, and in some form, not exactly. It's not going to uh, shut down the fuel and deploy the chutes on your road car by any means. Oh, man, I wish we had, we had, wish we had parachutes. That would be so cool. It really would, wouldn't it? I mean, we could probably mod one up, but it would be tough to mod one up that would do something effectively. Yeah, you know true. what I mean? Yeah. Like we could have a fake little <laughs> parachute pop out, but to have it pop out with enough force and be large enough and be the right material, I don't know. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. 
It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I feel like you could go to a racing supply store and uh, just simply rig one of these up to your, uh, what, what, what have you got now? What's your car now? I've got the Escape. The Escape, that's right. The is... Escape Hybrid. Yeah. Uh, you could rig up a parachute system to your Escape Hybrid and uh, and really uh, raise some eyebrows out on the freeway. Maybe, yeah. Like, uh, man, that guy must have been going so fast. Eyebrows of law enforcement, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> well, maybe. That's a, that's how that's I a find thing. out that there's a law against having a parachute on your car on the interstate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So, you know, we mentioned fuel a few times, and I, I guess we should probably mention this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... The fuel systems are really key to why these guys, why these engines can create so much power. And um, during a single run, I think we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later. But uh, mm. during a single run, you know, the burn, uh, the starting the engine, the burnout, mm-hmm. backing up, you know, that they have to do in reverse gear, the staging, the quarter, and then the actual quarter mile run, or not quite quarter mile, but less. Um, the cars can burn as much as fifteen gallons of fuel. That's fifty-seven liters of fuel that can be burned in that short amount of time. So it's a huge amount of fuel. And the fuel mixture is typically 85 to 90 percent nitromethane with about 10 to 15 percent methanol mixed in. So it's not a, it's not 100 percent nitromethane. Uh, it's got some methanol mixed in. Now, methanol is pure methyl alcohol that's used as a fuel. Now, in top alcohol dragsters, uh, that's what uh, that's what they use. They use primarily methanol. I don't know if there's any nitromethane in there at all. I think it's mm-hmm. all alcohol or methanol rather. Um, the, the nitromethane burning cars, the nitro cars, as they're called, uh, have that mix that I just talked about. And it's made specifically as a fuel for drag racing. And it's the result of a chemical reaction between nitric acid and propane. And, of course, you know, these uh, these top fuel dragsters that we mentioned and the funny cars that we're talking about today both use nitromethane or that, that blend of nitromethane mm-hmm. that we mentioned. And I think that, you know, they... Uh, the, the sanctioning bodies, I think they, they mess around with that mixture just a little bit based on, you know, the altitude. You're going you're gonna to have different fuel uh, that you run in Denver versus what you're going to use in Pomona. Um, so right. they, they kind of play around with that a little bit to get the optimum, uh, the, the correct burn, I guess, on that type of fuel. Yeah, this is a highly calculated sport mm-hmm. uh, for the beginning, right? So, so much of the preparation, months and months or even a year, um, Goes down to just just a couple a couple minutes. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, start to finish. I mean, yeah. from when you start the vehicle until when you shut the vehicle down, it's really just a couple of minutes at most. And uh, you know, some of the, the facts and figures that we'll talk about in a little while are pretty interesting. That the the consumption of fuel and uh, and tires and all that stuff and the speeds and the g forces and all that. We'll we'll get to it. But um, you know, one thing that we should mention here, and we just just because I feel like it would be a, a Ashamed to not even mention some of these guys' names, but um, there's a, uh, a part of the Motorsports Hall of Fame, of course, and involves funny car racers or, yes. or drag racers. And you'll find that when you um, look at the, the entries for this, now, now drag racing or top fuel drag racing or however it's broken down, I don't remember. But if you look at the, the different Motorsports Hall of Fame members, uh, maybe do a search for funny car. You'll find that a lot of them were also involved with top fuel dragsters. Oh yeah. So funny car and top fuel dragsters are uh, kind of synonymous in the, in that way, and that a lot of the drivers are the same. But maybe their focus was on 
uh, top fuel dragsters towards the end of their career, and that's where they actually got most of their victories. But they started out in Funny Car, or vice versa. Right. Um, so a lot you'll of crossover. Yeah. So you'll find names like uh, like Dale Armstrong or Kenny Bernstein or even John Force. He's uh, of course a Funny Car owner as well. Um, yeah. Don Nicholson or uh, here's one that surprised me. Danny Ungaius. Now I forgot Danny Ungaius. He's a uh, he's big IndyCar guy. Right. But he was in a lot of other series as well. But he was part of Mickey Thompson's team. Uh, back in the late 60s and early 1970s, as we talked about in the Mickey Thompson podcast. Oh, yep. You spoke the name, which means we have to go back to Mickey Thompson. Yeah, we will, and after two more names, because yeah. I want to mention uh, Don the Snake Prudhomme. That's where uh, I got Noel's Oh, yeah, name. there we go. He was also an owner and driver. And then there's, of course, Sox and Martin, uh, Ronnie Sox and Buddy Martin. So a mm-hmm. uh, famous drag racing team. But the, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of uh, top fuel and, uh, yeah, top fuel funny car drivers that made it into the Motorsports Hall of Fame with good reason. And you said uh, we need to talk about Mickey Thompson a bit here, too. Yeah. So before we went on the air, Scott, we were we were talking about the various innovations that Mickey Thompson has, which we won't go into too much detail about in this episode, because we have and and I'll be honest with you, we have a pretty good episode on Mickey Thompson. I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it's it was, was a fun one to record. It was, uh, yeah. it was really fascinating to research that. Yeah, and we talk about the various weird mad science innovations that that he created. Uh, so he, also a good yeah. true crime story. Also uh, a fascinating true crime story, which kind of snuck up on us. I didn't mean to throw that in there, but I oh, had no, to. Yeah, yeah we had that. to. That was that was uh, sometimes when you're looking into these uh, stories in the course of your research, you find the most surprising things. You know, Mickey Thompson uh, does some. Legendary redesigns, right, of mm-hmm. of funny cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's strange how so many of these big names in racing come about in multiple aspects of racing. Yeah, sure. Know? They uh, they intersect in some way. So like you're reading about uh, Mickey Thompson and then you'll come across Danny Ungaius. Mm-hmm. And then you start researching about Danny Ungaius and you'll find out his IndyCar history and when he was there and who was racing, and then he'll he'll come you'll run across another name that's uh, that's of interest, and you'll start researching that, and that's how these podcasts seem to grow into <laughs> bigger things than we initially intend. <laughs> happens a lot to us, doesn't it? It does. It does happen a lot. You know, I, I, one quick thing, and I, I yeah, I keep saying that one quick thing. There's one more thing, or one more uh, <laughs> one more thing I want to mention. A while back, when I worked, I, I talked about often when I worked with uh, with Chrysler, I was doing the service training, uh-huh. and one of the characters that I was involved with, and I call him character in a, uh, uh, can I say a loving way, I guess? Complimentary a, uh, way. A complimentary way. That's a better way to say it. One of the guys that I came across was uh, was Bobby Martin. Now, Bobby Martin was a driver and owner of a, uh, he was a, of a top, top alcohol funny car. I, I would love to talk to this guy, because... Mm-hmm. He had great racing stories. He was traveling. I mean, he's this guy, guy traveling in his uh, big, you know, Dodge Ram Cummins diesel uh, all around with a big trailer on the back that was you know, promoted by Chrysler Corporation. It was a program. It was like an apprentice, apprenticeship program for Chrysler technicians. First, it was called the Chrysler Apprenticeship Program. Then it was changed to the, the College Automotive Program, which is what it was called when I was there. Mm-hmm. And then now it's like the Mopar College Automotive Program and then the Career Automotive Program. It's like it changes names. It's uh, one of those acronyms that they changed to fit the uh, the acronym that's already there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget what they call it. It's retro something. <laughs> um, but this guy was so fascinating to talk to, and I don't think that he's driving anymore. I can't I can't confirm that. But he would sometimes show up to the training facility that we were at with his trailer that was all painted up, you know, for the cat program. Yeah. And his truck. And he would 
he was, um, when I was doing the training, he would write in with articles, like monthly articles for the newsletter that I put together for the service technicians. And he would have these interesting stories about being on the road and what it's like to drive and everything. And I think this is where I got this description from. And it was either him or uh, there was another Chrysler drag racer who raced a top fuel dragster, but I didn't have much contact with him. I only, I interviewed him a few times. His name was Mike Dunn. And he drove one of those 25 foot long, you know, enormous, you know, the eight, oh no, I'm sorry, 12,000 horsepower, whatever those things yeah, are. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy amount. Um, he was a, one of those two guys is the one that gave me the description of what it's like when you hit the throttle on the line, you know, when, when the green light comes up and you hit that six G. They, they said, they said that this is exactly what it feels like. And I, again, I can't remember if it was Bobby or, sure, sure. or Mike, but they said when you're sitting at the line and you've got your, you know, you're pressed back as hard as you can in the seat and you got your head back and everything and you got the Hans device on and all that and you're strapped in. They said it feels as if a semi has just hit you from a dead stop going a hundred miles an hour. It's like, that's what it feels like. It's like that amount of force on your back and your body when, when that thing accelerates. That's how it's a, it's a brutal, brutal sport. I mean, it's, it's, it's taxing on your body in every way. And I heard another thing and I want to say, and this is something just, just recollection from reading somewhere, but, um, there have been top fuel dragsters that have started to lose their vision at the end of their career. Because when they get to the end of the run and they hit the chutes, you know, to, to slow them down, you're not, mechanical yeah. brakes aren't doing anything at this point, but the chutes, when those chutes deploy, there's negative G's that are applied to your body as well. And it's actually pulling your, your eyeballs out of the sockets a little bit. It's, it's detaching your retinas. Wow. And towards the end of the career, that has like a, a, um, a progressive, um, um, effect on your, on your vision. Mm-hmm. And it becomes worse and worse and worse as, as you age and you run, you go, you do run after run after run. I think, I think it was Big Daddy Don Garlitz that had said something like that, that his wow. vision was failing as a reason, as a result of that. I'm pretty sure. Well, uh, he, it was a big name. I don't know if it was Bernstein or who it was. but I mean, if we're being honest, the human body is not built to regularly be subjected to such forces. No, it's incredible. I think we, I don't know if we have mentioned this yet. What they're hitting is the equivalent of six G's, six times more than Earth's gravity. Yeah, and that's at launch, and that's, that's instant. launch. That's instant, an instant six G's. So I don't even know how to describe. I mean, that's probably the best description I've ever heard. Was hit being by a semi, hit by a semi in the back end. At, uh, you know, you're you're parked. They're going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, um, it, it's just got to be brutal. It's got to be something that your body uh, just can't put up with for for that long. Um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of consider. I'm kind of thinking that maybe Bobby isn't driving anymore. I did see on his website. There's a, a website for Bobby Martin. I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it's like Bobby Martin Racing or something like that. Um, he's now a motivational speaker, which makes perfect sense because the guy he was, he his stories, the stuff that he wrote for us was so well done. It was really it was it was clever in a lot of ways, but uh-huh. um, very. Um, it was almost like a like his own little narrative. Like he had this own uh, season long story going. And uh, and I really appreciated reading his stuff. It was always fun. But um, man, there's That's so much pretty cool. There's so much more to cover here, Ben. How about um, have we talked? Have we just said you can go to nhra.com? I don't think we've said that. Oh for- yeah, nhra.com is uh, is a great website for I don't know the various beginning questions you might have about funny cars. I I, I will tell you that one of my favorite facts, which listeners a lot of you saw coming, uh, was the cost of fuel. So. The nitromethane used to power the engines on the top fuel dragsters and funding cars cost about 16 per gallon. If we consider that a lot of these have, what, an 18-gallon tank, then what we're looking at is $288 to fill to fill the tank. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like that much until you realize that every time 
they do one competition. They're they're taking out what thirteen sixteen? How many gallons? Uh, eighteen, I think you said, right? It's eighteen for the tank. For the and, tank, sure. Yeah, and then they're. Oh, I'm sorry. They said the the uh, the run and everything. They can burn up to fifteen or sixteen. I think it was. Uh, so you're right. They have just a tiny bit of reserve, and I would guess that that's uh, in case. Something happens during staging, maybe that delays them a bit, right? Or uh, you know, whatever happens, maybe I they're mean, it's left a close island. margin, it's especially very with close. such a thirsty engine. And you know, uh, another quick thing, I keep remembering all these little things. They they don't really have any kind of uh, a cooling system. Uh, the way that the engine is designed, and you, this, you would never think this, the, the engine has no water jackets at all. Uh, so it's basically it's an air cooled engine. And yeah. you would never guess that. So these things don't want to sit in idle for too long, of course. The, uh, the, the one thing that they do have going for them is that, um, uh, the methanol and the fuel, uh, coupled with the idea that these things are only going to run for maybe two minutes at a time at the most, you know, when they start from start up to finish, uh-huh. two or three minutes maybe, is that it's so short that they really don't need any type of water cooling to happen as well. And it seems like it's just another system breakdown, really. Uh, so it's probably, a smart move on their part not to not to include water jackets in these things, but you would just never guess that type of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, another thing we should mention: single camshafts are, are allowed only. There's no dual cams allowed in the in the series at all. Um, and there's really only two different types of bore and stroke combinations that are run by anyone in the series. And one is called um, a three quarter stroker, and the other one's called a five eighth stroker. And one of them, the three quarter stroker, has a smaller bore and a longer stroke. The 5.8 stroker has a longer bore and a shorter stroke. And I think it should be pointed out that the three-quarter stroker is the most common combination used today. And it equals somewhere around, uh, so out of that 426 engine, they're getting right around 496 cubic inches out of it. So it's it's extending that to about 8.1 liters in size off in that 426 mm-hmm. engine. And I don't know what 426 breaks down to in liters, um, but I think a 440 is 7.2 and again, all those are based on that, that 426 Hemi engine, the elephant engine. The elephant yeah, engine. Yeah, the racing engine, uh, the, the aluminum Hemi engine, I guess. Is there, you know, there's one thing I want to go back to. What's that? Uh, I want to go back to the people. I don't want to derail us, but I feel like we should spend a little bit of time on John Force. Oh, how could we not? Right? Yeah, the guy, I mean, his name is synonymous with, with funny car racing at this point. So John Force is a 16-time funny car champion driver 18-time champion car owner. Yeah, that's right, because he had other drivers, right? Right. And uh, across his career, he's had 143 victories. This guy, if you look at the list of funny car champions, his name by far dominates. Yeah, so 143 victories. You, you're talking about event wins. So, like, right. you know, if there's a racing weekend at Pomona, he wins the weekend. Uh, that's what we mean by an event win. He's done that 143 times. This guy is uh, a legendary status, of course. And he's still um, in the game. Yeah, the round the round wins are in the thousands, or at least above a thousand, anyways. I mean, he's won a lot of races, and of course, he's uh, I got he's got family in it now. His uh, his yeah. daughter's racing. Um, if you look at the list of champions, his name is in there from what 1991 all the way through uh, 2013, I believe, as a, as a champion. Uh-huh. And then you said, you know, of course, Tony Pedregon. In 2003, and uh, Robert Height in 2009, uh, each won a title while on his team, so that accounts for the extra two. So that's the 18 championships, really. And not only that, his his former crew chief, uh, the guy's name is Austin Coyle. He's of course, you know, he's been with him from the beginning, so he's logged the highest number of wins as crew chief as well. So these guys are record breakers in just about every aspect of the sport. Yeah, 
It's amazing. This is, this is, uh, one of the highest perform, the highest performing. Yeah. You know, driver. and the thing, you know, we're not, we're not looking at numbers back from like the Mickey Thompson era, you know, like back in the late sixties and 1970s. These are numbers that be, you know, John Force's, uh, you know, um, domination of the series began around 1991 or 1990, I guess. I think, I think I misspoke earlier. It's 1990 when he started his winning. Um, but if you go back, you know, you get names like, uh, Cheryl Greer and Don Prudhomme and, uh, Raymond Beadle and guys, guys like that, like Frank Hawley. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of different names on the list, but then after you get after, oh, what, for 1990, that's when, uh, Force really dominates this whole list. Right. And, yeah. um, oh, can I, <laughs> this is a silly one. Yeah. And I, <laughs> this is one for maybe for the, uh, over 18 crowd maybe to look at online, but, um, there was a, a duo that raced in funny cars for a while that I think we should just mention, and I, I'll leave it at that. I won't. I won't go too much farther into okay. this. I promise. But uh, there was a duo named uh, Jungle Jim and Jungle Pam, and uh, anybody that was from that era will recognize those names right away. And uh, <laughs> his name was instead. Of, his real name wasn't Jungle Jim, of course. It was it was Jim Lieberman, and Jim Lieberman and a woman named. Uh, well, her nickname was Jungle, but Jungle Pam Hardy. She was an 18 year old, uh, that kind of traveled with him, I guess. We'll say, we'll put it that way. Uh huh. She would appear on the track with him in these really skimpy outfits. And her main thing or her main focus at the event was to not only draw media attention, of course. I mean, that was what this is all about. But after he would do the burnout, she would be out, you know, front and center on the track and, um, she would guide him back to the, uh, um, to the starting line, you know, back to the stage. Yeah. And that's an important thing to do, of course. And you have, they, they can't really see behind them, so you have to guide them back. But <laughs> she she would wear these really skimpy outfits, and she would pose in very provocative ways mm-hmm. uh, for the photographers. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. So you may want to look that up if uh, if you have a few spare moments anyways. And, um, you know, we can't discount, you know, the, the, the guys that were more about just the racing and what they did, you know, like the, the Mickey Thompsons of the thing and the Don Prude homes and the Sox and Martins and the, the factory teams that raced as well. Cause they were, uh, they were all part of this and, and keeping the whole thing going. And during that era, or maybe just prior to that era, um, there's something that unusual that happened that I think we should mention too. Um, and I know yeah. we talked about this on a nuts and bolts episode a long time ago. And I think, I think that it came from one that was called one more thing back in June of 2014. So it wasn't that long ago. And I'll only briefly mention it. There was something called the Chicago Indoor Drag Racing Events that happened in 1962, 1963, and 1964. And it's just as crazy as it sounds. They raced in some of these old stockyard um, warehouses, really. You know, the, the Chicago stockyards. Uh-huh. They had these uh, these great, big, enormous warehouses that somebody decided in the off-season they could drag race cars inside. It's a, a terrible idea for a lot of reasons, but it's also pretty cool to think about them doing it. And, uh, terribly dangerous, you know, cause the, the concrete floors, they look like they're glass. They're very, very slick. Uh, a lot of times, you know, at the end of the run, the drivers would have to kind of thread the needle through a doorway, which led to the outside of the building. And some of them didn't make it through that doorway. Um, I don't think there were any fatalities here. Um, I mean, after all, Ben, they had hay bales there for safety. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, hay bales, you know. Right. Like, yeah. What's that going to do? Um, Not too much. It, it was really, it was amazing. And of course, exhaust gases collected in the building. It was a right. bad idea for spectators and the, the people participating, but, um, you know, a big promoter. I think, um, uh, you know, the guy, I don't remember the guy's name, but he drew in some of the big names of the day, some of the big drag racers in the, uh, sportsman series. And they actually raced in these, uh, you know, like 330 or 440 foot length races that happened indoors in the early 1960s. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested. I don't think anything could happen like that today, but I'd be interested to see something like that today. It was Bill Shade, right? That was the promoter. Could be. Yeah. yeah. I was looking at some of the names that he drew and he, I, I, I was getting confused with the, the actual racers like Arnie Beswick and mm-hmm. some of the other big names that were, were racing at the time. But, um, uh, good for a lot of reasons, bad for a lot of reasons. I don't think you could do it indoor today unless someone invented either something to instantly uh, disperse the emissions or some kind of non-IC engine. Like I, I don't know what it would be. I can't conceive of an electric engine that or an electric motor that would be able to come anywhere near competing with oh, the funny car. I wouldn't say that. I bet you somebody's going to come up with an example because uh, the instant torque, uh, you know, it's going to be fast. Sure. Yeah, it's going to you know torque. But to, you, you're right, though, to compete with an 8,000 that's what I'm, horsepower yeah. machine. That's uh, that's going to be a, a serious, serious uh, electric motor. Um, I don't know. I just don't know an example. I'd, I'm going to try to find one. I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, electric cars can compete with uh, some of the other series, of course. Absolutely. You know, they can, they yeah. can win drag races easily. A lot right. of them can. Yeah. But to compete against an, an actual uh, nitromethane burning funny car, I, I don't know. I, it's a tall order. We, we, have yet to, we have yet to see that. We have yet to see it. Yeah, that's maybe better. But if that happened, then we could see the return of indoor drag racing. <laughs> maybe. I'd say at best. What if you had a what if you had a drag racing venue that was uh that, that had a roof that could open or close so that if it was raining they could run the event? That might be a good idea. Like a very, very high roof, you know, like a long narrow building. Yeah. Uh that was open on either end. So that it's raining outside and you know in the pit area and everything. But once you got into that uh that staging area and the shutdown area, you're completely covered. So that the track always remains dry. I wonder if that would work. But you'd have mm. to find a way to completely dry the tires too. Yeah. Uh, boy, I don't know. I don't know if it'd work or not. But if we can figure this out, Scott, then finally people will be able to have that adventure. I assume they're looking for. That's a ten thousand dollar idea right there. <laughs> not a million dollar idea. But not a ten... million. It's not no. a million dollar idea. <laughs> Doesn't top some of our other ideas. Patent pending. Copyright. Whatever we need to say. Yeah, right. I think it counts if you say it on air. I, I think it does. Yeah, right. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. So where else are we going with this? All right, well, about the only thing I've got left, and I'm sure that there's more for me to cover here in, uh, in far too great a detail. I mean, you brought but, Jungle Jim back. Uh, <laughs> you know, the people that look that up will be happy they did. All right, so yeah. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I uh, think so. Others might be a little bit sad, but... Um, I think the NHRA fun facts is where we'll go because this is right from the NHRA site. And this is one of the kind of fun things that, you know, the NHRA.com site yeah. does. Aside from, you know, having the schedules for next year and, you know, the point standings and driver profiles, mm-hmm. team profiles, tickets, all that stuff. Uh, they have the, the section that's called fun facts. And I just love looking through this. And now I know we've probably read these online, maybe early, early on in this podcast, maybe even when you're high speed stuff, we did this and looking at these numbers. I don't think they've changed them much. I don't think there's been much much update to this. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that these maybe are a little bit behind the times, but not much. This is pretty close. All right, so the numbers might be a few years off, but we'll give them some kind of leeway on this. That They're still pretty fascinating. And the ones that I want to focus on here, and there's, there's a lot more than what I'm going to read, but it's kind of a did-you-know section. And most of the ones that pertain to top-fuel dragsters are the same for the funny cars. So they'll say top-fuel dragsters and funny cars do this. I'm going to leave out the top fuel dragsters part and just read it as funny cars for okay. the, just for this episode. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, not in any particular order here. I'll just read a few. Uh, I'll, jump I'll jump in on a few. Too. So kind of a, did you know thing? So, uh-huh. so did you know that the nitromethane powered engines of NHRA funny cars produce approximately 7,000 horsepower? See, we're off already. 8,000 horsepower is what it is. About 37 times that of the average street car. Right. 37 or, times. Or remember how he said they're like five to six Gs when you launch? Yeah. Uh, did you know that a funny car is slowed by reverse force more than seven times that of gravity when both parachutes deploy oh, at once? That's exactly what we're talking about, the retinas detaching, yep. remember? Yep. All right, so here's here's another one. Did you know that one cylinder of the eight cylinders of a funny car produces 750 horsepower, equaling the entire horsepower output of a NASCAR engine? So that's one cylinder is equivalent to an entire NASCAR engine output. Yeah. Impressive. It's, I mean, it's impressive and it puts it in perspective, those kind of 
comparisons, like uh, top fuel dragsters accelerate faster than a jumbo jet, a Formula One car, and a fighter jet. All right, Ben, remember how I said that all these don't quite stand up to the uh, the test of time, you know, that some of them have changed? Well, they initially had reported that um, uh, it was, you know, the the acceleration speed and and comparing it to a Porsche 911 turbo, well, that's dramatically changed over the years. So I've I've kind of updated this one, okay? Um, So they, they said that the NHRA top fuel funny car accelerates from zero to 100 in less than 0.8 seconds, which is probably still true. Um, but they said that that's almost 11 seconds quicker than it takes a production Porsche 911 Turbo to reach the same speed. That's not true anymore because a, a Porsche 911 Turbo now accelerates from 0 to 100 in just 6.8 seconds. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's true anymore. I think that's, uh, that's dramatically – because they were saying 11 seconds quicker than that. Now it will do it in 6.8 seconds. So the I guess the real answer would be 5. Uh, 5.9 seconds. Mm-hmm. Something in that ballpark. Yeah, something like that. So it's, yeah, it's strange when we just think about, again, I can't get over the fuel. Yeah. Yeah, the fuel numbers are just incredible. So uh, funny cars consume between four and five gallons of fuel during a quarter mile run. Just just the quarter mile part, not the, uh, the whole thing as we talked about before, which is like 15 gallons or whatever. Uh, but just that quarter mile run, that's the equivalent to getting somewhere between 16 and 20 gallons per per mile. So it's like the reverse. It's not like miles per gallon. It's it's gallons per mile. 16 to 20 gallons per mile. That, that's incredible. Stuff. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. So when you think about the uh, the distance that they travel, they travel the length of more than four football fields in less than five seconds. You got to keep your eyes open the whole time. There's no way you can blink during that right. run. In just 660 feet. They exceed 280 miles per hour, according to this. But I'm thinking, Scott, that's something that needs to be updated as well. I think so. You know, this list, I don't know if it's such a great list anymore. I'm going to have to call the NRA, or NRA, the NHRA. I'll call the NRA and talk to them about the NHRA. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to call both both and I'm going to raise some hell. No, I'm going to call the NHRA and say they need to update this site because uh, we're getting some old numbers here. But you get the general feel for this whole thing. Right. And the other, uh, back to the fuel, I guess, because I'm just fascinated by the fuel stats on this. The fuel pump for a funny car delivers 65 gallons of fuel per minute, which is the equivalent to eight bathroom showers running at the same time. That's incredible. I mean, it would turn on your bathroom shower. Look at how much water's coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Then think about eight of those running at one time, and that's just the fuel. Now consider that being mixed with uh, with greater amounts of air and being taken into the engine. And, and that's happening, what, every uh, every minute, did I say? Yeah, 65 gallons of fuel right. per minute are consumed in these cars. That's it's sounding strange. It really is. I mean, that's at top speed. And of course, the reason that, you know, that number is so high. And if you, if you think about this is because that, that quarter mile run where they're burning most of their fuel, it only takes like four seconds. That's mm-hmm. why they can do that. They, they can't run for a full minute at that speed because they'd have to have a 65 gallon fuel tank. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 all the numbers make sense. It's just right. how you, you, you got to segment this run into to what they're burning. Right. Then these numbers are extrapolated out. Right? Exactly right. Because can you imagine how much fuel it would take to uh, get get one of these uh, just in a hypothetical world as a daily driver? Oh, God, yeah. Can you imagine if you were to try to get to uh, – like do your daily commute and figure out what that would cost you if you're burning uh, 65 gallons of fuel per minute? And remember to make space uh, for a little over 2,000 feet so you can stop at lights. Well, of course, you know, instead of taking an hour and 45 minutes to get here to the office every day, though, I would probably get here in about – 
35 seconds. Yeah, give or take. <laughs> give or take. <laughs> yeah. If only there was like a wide open road like that where you could run like that. That would be so fantastic. Wouldn't I it? think about that all the time, Scott. We're talking know. about like uh, the Tesla Hyperloop uh, speeds. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, there's a little bit of news about the Tesla Hyperloop too, which we will have to get to in another episode. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to mosey yeah. on down you the know, road ben, today. I know we, we, we really hyped that list. Like we are going to talk about the fun facts and everything, but when I look at this list now and I read through it, I think like, you know, in the past four or five years, there have been so many advancements and so many increases in these numbers. The numbers have got to be even more staggering than they are in this list that we've reported. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've got to be even bigger and better. So I'm going to look at it, and uh, I'll, I'll make this deal with you listeners. I'm going to come back, maybe not next episode, but in a few episodes, and check out an updated version of this list. Oh, that's a great idea. Fantastic idea. And I'll call call the NRA and see what they can do about it. Right. Uh, See how much control they have over the NHRA. And I'll call NASA, just since we're doing things that start with N, and uh, see what what their opinion of it is. Uh, That's a fantastic idea, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You, You never know. They've got their hands in everything. Don't bring out my conspiratorial side. I was trying to. I was trying to. All right. Well, before I go full tinfoil hat, Scott and I are going to get out of here. Uh, if you want to check out our other podcasts on racing, we have quite a few. They are at carstuffshow.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter where we are carstuffhsw. And if you want to send an email directly to us, we'd love to hear it because our best suggestions come from you. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.